they're not big four good, but they're oh, good. Oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. Well, <laughs> better than Anthrax. Anything. Fucking sandpaper is better than Anthrax. Anthrax was literally like, yeah, guys, we're the big three. Let's make a big you four. You know who guys. I wouldn't put above well, I mean, Anthrax? Anthrax showed up. He Guns and the, Roses. They brought a cake. <laughs> they brought a cake. You know, they <laughs> It sucks, too, because some of those dudes in that band are awesome. Like, I wish Scott Ian had a different band. The individual members of Anthrax, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Together, not so much. So happy It's together. a madhouse. You're listening to Discography Discussion, episode 125, Death Angel. Hosted by Dan Terry. It's fucking thrash. Josh Baldridge. One dollar at a time. And Joseph Wren. Oh, I will. That's my job. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. And if you're ready for some serious ultra-violence, then you are ready for this episode of Discography Discussion. I am Joe, that is Dan, that is Josh. Talking about Death Angel tonight, guys, come on. Hey, Josh, are you ready for some death? Damn it. Angel. There are two things in this world that give me a and this thrash metal category is one of them. What's the other one? Pizza. Pizza. Okay, we can make that happen. A, 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 good, a good pizza. No, for real. Thrash is my department. This is my jam. 1987 called. They said, hello, Josh. We're still here, you know. Damn right. Still rocking strong in 2019. Awesome artwork, too. Like, whoever designed their shit for them. Nice job, guy. Except for Frolic in the Park. I thought that was kind of weak. All the other artwork is pretty good. That one, I was like, eh. Frolic in the Park's just a weird album, which Very, we will. Which is weird for being a late 80s metal album. Yeah, we'll get to that. All right, Dan, we're going to play a game on this episode. How many times is Josh going to compare Death Angel to Metallica? I'm going to say seven. A lot. I'm going to cast my <laughs> vote in at 23. It could be very well. I, we got to Everyone knows that the thrash metal ultra high bar is Metallica in the early 80s. So, I mean. This who, isn't the early 80s, though. We get a, well, technically it's not. Well, the help, it's interesting you mentioned that because at this point, Justice would have come out. Yeah. No, so, Justice was 88. Well, so their second album. So the so same year the, that Frolic in the Park came comes out. out. Justice comes out. Right. Oh, man, what a comparison album that would be. Oh, there's no comparison. Oh, I know. Even without the bass. Yeah. Game if, with Jason. Yeah. Maybe we'll compare the two on Patreon sometime. Just do a real, a real long, drawn-out teardown of both records. I know, right? With or without the bass. Well, I will give Frolic in the Park the fact that it has bass. I mean, somewhere Albeit I don't hear it's. Weak, I don't. I don't but hear it's, it. Yeah, but it's, it's there. It's, there. it's just a light out. Look, well, let's start with the first one first, and before we get to that album, are you suggesting <laughs> that we go through the band's discography in chronological order? I think that makes the most logical sense. I don't know, Joe. What do you think? It's the premise of the podcast, so we definitely need to do that. Oh shit! Okay, to hell with format. Yeah, <laughs> it, I I, can't, I couldn't quite remember what the format was. It being 125 episodes in and all. Oof. Pass. Well, before we start searching for Jason Newstead on this episode, I'm going to take some time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything Discography Discussion at DiscussMetal.com. We are on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse. Ask it to play the latest episode of the Discography Discussion podcast, and it will. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Be sure to like, favorite, and subscribe. It really helps us out. It lets us know you're listening. And now Dan is going to tell us all about five-star reviews. Hey, we love five-star reviews here on Discography Discussion. 
We love them because they make us feel better. But every now and again, well, we don't please somebody. And I've got a review to read for you guys today that I think you're going to enjoy. Oh, please do. So WM Trip says, morons. I just listened to the Mars Volta episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I won't listen to another one. Who is that hack you guys were talking about that took up a good 15 minutes talking about his own pathetic band? And how about actually getting a fan of the Mars Volta to do a review of their albums? Wasn't commercially accessible? Yep, that's the Mars Volta in a nutshell. Not commercial. So go listen to Linkin Park if commercial music is is more up your alley and leave the Mars Volta to the real fans of music. Posers, one star. To answer your question, that was Andrew Schwab of the band Project 86. You can find out more about that band at project86.com. And over on Facebook, we got a comment on our episode on the showdown, episode 122. From C.J. Emerson, he says, Living Sacrifice couldn't have broke up at a worse time. They would have been huge. And I actually appreciate that comment because it says nothing about the showdown, which is kind of how we felt about it in comparison to Living Sacrifice. <laughs> they did a good job, but you know, they just they weren't that band. It's a band you know if you listen to them, but in hindsight, yeah, why didn't Living Sacrifice stick around a little longer, you know? The funny thing about Living Sacrifice is they broke up whenever they were like, dude, we've been at this for like a long time, and they just weren't catching on. If they'd have stuck around for another year or two, they would have probably gotten a lot bigger, just like CJ said, because uh, Metalcore was taking off, but these guys were exhausted. They were playing high school gymnas- They were playing high school gymnasiums in 1999, <laughs> and that's whenever they really, you know, that would have been a good time for them to take off, but the masses were not ready for it. All right, then. I want to talk about Death Angel. So, Dan, tell me about Death Angel. Death Angel is a American thrash metal band. They come from California. Yeah. They started in 1982. Can you believe that they came from California? California. Well, we're not talking about the Chili Peppers, are we? No, no, oh, okay. not today. Did you know those guys are from California? Uh, just a rumor, though. I don't yeah, know if it's true. Can't confirm. <laughs> well, Death Angel was very much from California. And they released a whole crap ton of demo tapes in the five years between 1982 and 1987, where they put out their debut magnum opus, The Ultraviolence. And to, to quote Josh, just the cover artwork for this album, it's just an ancient city laid to waste. And I can't even confirm that it's an ancient city. It might just be like the neighboring town. It could have been San Francisco. It could have been L.A. No one really knows. There's a prominent skull uh, right in the left-hand corner. Just just to let you know, that guy was the closest thing they had to a survivor. He's no longer with us, just so everyone knows. The ultra-violence by Death Angel is just unadulterated rage in thrash metal form. Thrash, heavy, fast, in-your-face glaring guitar solos everything you want in a thrash metal band a couple cat stranglers in there oh, also all Everywhere. sorts of cat stranglers no I cat mean, survived it's basically well, what how is what do you do you have the number what did the clock in like 30 some odd minutes or 37 minutes it's something a very like that. it's a very short record yeah, it's that's short, very long in your face kick your nuts kind of fast the 45 metal. minutes long yes 40, doesn't yeah. feel like it but they no, throw a lot of like seven minute ten minute songs in there well this is a classic thrash metal album we have to play for a very long time and then change the riff mid-song and then after the lead guy does his kirk hammett thing we come back and finish it. Well, I think too the self-title on that track is a 10-minute instrumental, so that's probably where you get a you know a quarter of your time in on that album. It's well, like it 10 is minutes classic or thrash. <laughs> well, the, to do 10 minutes of classic thrash in one song, it's kind of unheard of at that time. The the opening song, which is called Thrashers, yeah, is seven minutes just in and of itself. Because I remember driving whenever I popped it on because. 
the first Death Angel album I heard, admittedly, was Act 3, so I didn't really know too much about the earlier stuff. And uh, I was very surprised, so I'm driving in the car for what I felt like was like 10 minutes, and I was like, oh, I wonder which track I'm on right now, and I look down, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm still on the first song. And I'm not having a bad time. I'm, I'm, I'm driving too fast. I probably should pull over and take a break. It was a little much. I got my work done like four times as fast that day. I was going to say, this is the type of thing where, where Dan hung four garage doors instead of three. Right. 14. He was done looking for more. That was all during Thrashers. Uh, you know, 14 garage doors. Uh, Sir, do you just... know why I pulled you over? I'm listening to the ultraviolets, officer. <laughs> These are... Oh, my bad. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Move along. Yeah. My don't, apologies, sir. Don't let me keep you. Turn I'm, it up. This is the epitome of what rage music was in the mid to late 1980s. It was as extreme as you could get. I mean, I know there were bands like grindcore bands coming out like Napalm Death and stuff at the time, but their stuff still sounded way more like punk. This was just the straight thrash metal that we had been getting throughout the 80s, but turned up to 11. And as Joe said before, this sounds a lot like Kill 'Em All. This is, the, I mean, the Kill 'Em All is the standard that thrash metal bands hold their their band up to. So if you're going to hear any comparisons for this album, for sure, it's definitely very Kill 'Em All esque. I thought that was British Steel. Uh, the new wave, the new wave of metal. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. No, this <laughs> is so definitely much. this is definitely pure thrash. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the the opening riff on Thrashers is a direct lift of Hit the Lights. It is and, and to it's the funny. point where I'm waiting for Hetfield to come in and be like, yep. "No life to leather, gonna kick some ass tonight." Exactly. You know? It's the it's the same setup, and it's almost written in the same the same key as Hit the Lights, which is hilarious. But it almost sounds like the same studio. It could have been held. Like, it's it's very thin sounding. Like the production of it is very is very paper thin. Well, that's why I like about that. That's why I like about all those old 80s thrash bands, because yeah, it was like re- recorded on a tape recorder in someone's garage. Well, yeah, I can't tell people I like bands like Venom and, and like scoff at this. Yeah, you know, this sounds like a million dollar production in comparison. Essentially, this is a kick-ass debut album for a kick-ass band leading into to a different sound on their next album, which you wouldn't think would have happened. Well, I, I disagree a little bit. So we're talking about uh, 1988's Frolic Through the Park, which is funny because the ultraviolence is called the ultraviolence, and it sounds exactly like what it's called. Uh, a Frolic in the Park is not what this album sounds like. No. It is still very aggressive, I feel, like very much in the same vein as the ultraviolence, but they start incorporating a little bit of melody in there. Breakdowns, lead stuff, maybe harmonizing a little bit more. They're trying to be more commercial because by 1988, they're kind of looking over at their peers and they're like... Okay, so we did what Metallica did. We released a kill them all. We released, you know, we did what Megadeth did. We released a killing is my business. You know, we, we, we released, we released that, you know, or like Slayer, Show No Mercy. You know, we released this album just showing everybody what a bunch of badasses we are. Yeah, there's that thrash formula that everyone has to follow to be successful. Right, and but now, now we've got to kind of step it up and, and do something that shows that we're actually really good players. Which I think the playing actually in a lot of ways is better on the ultraviolence. Maybe because they don't give as much of a shit about what people think. But on Frolic Through the Park, you can definitely tell they took a, a huge swing towards trying to be a little bit more commercial. The ultraviolence feels more like a band that got together every day for eight hours and played every song they had until it was tight. And then they went and recorded it. This album sounds like something they sat down and wrote and then had to execute in the studio. It's still good, but it's not as raw. And that's typical for thrash metal bands on album two. It's kind of a stepping stone for what they want to be. I think it kind of is funny because that they call it Frolic Through the Park, which is like a stupid name for an album. Like Especially they were, a thrash metal band. Well, like. they were trying, to, I realized they were trying to be ironic. Like, because we're going to call it Frolic Through the Park, but it's going to be this fucking heavy album. 
and, and I understand that, and I, I get it. I just think it's kind of like a little on the nose. But it's the 80s, so a little bit of cheese is okay. A little ton in cheek is all right. A little bit of cheese whiz on your cracker. It's fine. Yeah, it's delicious, and I can. But <laughs> Yeah, it is. But uh, I think that's the problem is that it's not quite there yet. It's not. It's definitely not representative of what the band was going to be. I can see attempts at technicality. The solos are, are far more technical on this record. Uh, the breaks, the, the song structures are not just generic, like, you know, down pick, down pick, down pick, down pick, solo, oh, break no, down, bridge, all. go out, you know, but like this is this is much more complex songwriting. They throw in a few melodic interludes here and there. And I think overall it sounds good. It's just the problem is, is that the record that came out after it is so much fucking better that it's hard to it's hard to compare. Whereas whenever we talked about Metallica like a thousand years ago, uh, we talked about how like they it was such a huge step up on Ride the Lightning versus Master of Puppets that you know they're both perfect albums in their own way. Uh, that is not really the same deal with Death Angel. You know, I, I could definitely see people buying this album being like, oh, but you know, I kind of just liked them to sound like they did on the Ultraviolence. Yeah, they're okay on this one. Whenever we roll into 1990s Act Three. Holy shit, the, the transformation is complete. They sound like a real band. They sound like a real band on the Ultraviolence and on Frolic, but yeah, they, they sound like a contender. Yeah, I was going to say, this is the, they don't sound like a flash in a pan at this point, though. Yeah, this is their contender for the throne type of album. Like, hey, we're legit with all the other big players in the field. They're going neck and neck now with their Metallicas and Megadeths and Slayers and stuff like that. Which they played on bills with those guys, so that's a testament to how good the album debuted. Oh, testament. That's for you, buddy. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate I, We need to do that episode, like, soon. We've been hinting about that for years now. Uh, so, Dan, this was your first album you were exposed to, right? It was my first time, yes. So it's interesting to have someone go to kind of, like, the golden peak of this band and then go back, whereas I was introduced ultraviolet and went from there. So, to me, this album isn't one of my favorites. It's still a great album. The first one's more my thing, but I'm curious to hear your take as someone who starts here. It's arguably the best out of the first three. And I'm trying really hard to separate the whole it's the first time I heard the band versus, you know, it was a progression. But, I mean, you can tell just by watching these three albums and watching the band grow over the course of three years. And this is actually really fast releases. Okay, yes. First of all, they're very fast releases, but they're also released very quickly in approximation to one another. In time, yes. you got to specify what you mean by what you say. <laughs> Act 3 is a perfect balance of that melodic sound that they were looking for on Frolic Through the Park, but also having times where they're going to go super heavy like they do on the Ultraviolence. They, they keep all that speed and aggression intact, but they keep it kind of caged, which I normally would say was a bad thing. There's a certain sense, though, of... So James Rolfe on the Angry Video Game Nerd movie, if, if you guys have seen that, you know, he, he's a character that's very angry about video games. He's angry all the time, right? So when people see him out in public, they're like, be angry, do the rant. And he makes a comment that, I mean, I can't even be pissed off anymore and it mean anything. And that kind of applies to this album in the sense that the heavy parts are heavy when they need to be heavy. When, when you build up to that aggression, it means more. It's more, it's more hard hitting than just a straight blast from beginning to end. And that's what I like about it. I like the improvement in the vocals. The melodic singing is heads and shoulders above what it was before. And honestly, I didn't think that we were going to get that from this vocalist. Now, because he's not the greatest sounding vocalist. He's not. Yeah, he's not super no. diverse like a Chuck Billy or a, no, a, or a James Hetfield or even a Dave Mustaine. You know, he's he's very uh, he. It's it's very much more like a Slayer type of vocal. And you or Anthrax was what I was Anthrax, thinking. Anthrax, yeah. So like you listen to the, you listen to the first two albums and think. 
this guy can only do one thing. He can just scream. He can just yell and, and do the thrash thing. And he sounds really good doing that. But Act 3 was the first album where they started doing more melodic songs than them actually sounding really good. He yeah, at that point it's almost like like most bands that want to want to have a serious career out of it. You know what do you got to do? You got to be able to be commercial. So it's almost like this guy. I'm, I'm gonna assume that he got coaching. I'm sure he worked on his vocals. I mean, it's not like you know like with Hetfield when they get to the Black Album. I mean, everyone knows how much effort he put into just singing as opposed to playing the Hetfield mighty riff. Like so, I would agree that this is what it reminds me of. Is this guy Chick is a different approach maybe on this album with his vocals, and it definitely sounds a lot better than it would have on the first two albums. I was surprised by the slow songs, almost like that cheesy 80s, you know, slow song that everybody had to have one on every album because the record label wanted it kind of thing. But I didn't hate it. I thought I was going to hate it, and I didn't actually hate it that much. It was interesting. This album does what Megadeth did a lot better than any of the other classic thrash bands. They play slow, and then they play fast. Yep. That's important if you're trying to impact your audience. I think it was Dan who said, in order for something to be loud, it has to be next to something quiet. In order for something to be fast and mean something, it's got to be next to something slow. That doesn't mean that your album has to be formulaic, but it's kind of nice to listen to Symphony of Destruction and then the mechanics, as opposed Mm. to the mechanics on repeat. There's a time and place for that. And I think that's your debut album. I think your debut album, you can get away with whatever because you're just presenting the world, your version of what you think heavy metal is. I think the biggest problem with Death Angel and what led to their kind of early breakup after Act 3, well, number one, they had a horrible bus accident. Yeah, what is with metal people and bus accidents? For fuck's sake, can we get these guys some good transportation? And they were they were actually about to go on a huge tour yeah. with like Judas Priest. Yeah, and like, then this was their big break. Like They, they were going to be massive with other metal bands and then another fucking bus crash. I question whether or not they would have been massive, though. I think the biggest problem with Death Angel is that they came a little late to the party. I don't disagree there. They, they show up in 1987. When everyone else has been established for five years already. And everybody else has already moved on from the sound of the ultra violence which is probably why the ultra violence did so well because fans that that were into that that were getting a little disappointed that metallica wasn't still that or 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 that uh megadeth wasn't still that or or slayer wasn't still playing you know well slayer just kind of got heavier so anybody we know know that slayer formula (laughs) yeah anybody that's complaining about that's a moron but get out of here yeah but death angel showing up in 1987 by the time they get to their third album act three in 1990 they're on like geffen records and thrash metals like a big business yep and it's already on the decline. It's just the people in the industry don't know that. It's just by the time an underground style that was that, that built itself up via grassroots word of mouth, by the time you're signed to majors and you got investors in, involved, 1990 was a really bad time. Act 3 would have been a fucking incredible record, and it is an incredible record, but had it been released in like 1987 or 1988 versus released in 1990 when thrash metal was kind of on the decline. Because whenever they got into that bus accident and they couldn't go on tour with Judas Priest, who replaced them? Pantera. And look how that ended and up. And Pantera was a massively more modern-sounding band by 1990 standards. It's too bad that they couldn't have couldn't have been earlier in the chronological. Like, if Violence would have come out in 84, 85, and yeah, then like you said, this album comes out in 87. Who knows? Maybe it would have been different for them. I don't know. Do you think that Death Angel is kind of a cash-in band in that way? I'm thinking of a band like Trust Company. Whether you you love them or hate them, I definitely am not a fan. They were not a founding new metal band. Several years after new metal was popular and the radio would not stop playing Corn and Limp Bizkit, 
this band pops up and puts out an album that feels very manufactured as opposed to written. And everything about it is something that someone else had already done. So was Death Angel a band that in 1982 said, hey, this thing's kind of taken off with thrash metal. We could do that. Five years later, all right, let's put our album out, guys. You know Metallica's got album number four on the way, right? Like, maybe we should up the game a little bit instead of just trying to sit in the pocket from five years ago. No, I don't know, because they were, I mean, they were together and around the same time everybody else was in the game. They just didn't get their break. I think they just kept at it, and while everyone else was making it big, I think the record industry was like, all right, well, let's milk this for all we got. Who le- who's left? Who's out there that you know could possibly make money? And I think that's a product. They're a product of that environment. Let's, who's a good band that we could not exploit, but you know, like I said, who, who can we milk the thrash scene with right before the grunge takes over this? And Death Angel is one of those bands that I think that that's why they got their break is they're, they're a leftover band, but they were always there from the very beginning. They just didn't get that break until too late. I agree. I think it was they were just the kid that got picked last gym class. Exactly, that's sort a of great deal. Analogy. And it's not even it's not even that they were bad either. And that's sadly can sometimes be true about the last kid in gym class because it turned out that even though I was big and fat, I was really good at dodgeball. Uh, but nobody knew that because they didn't want to put me on their team. They're like, uh, oh, I he's gonna, he's going to be an easy target. <laughs> Dan can dodge a wrench. And then they're like, holy crap, this guy's like extremely nimble for being overweight. They're like, wow, get this guy some gym shorts. It's time to put him in. And I think that was the thing with Death Angel is it was like, okay, guys, we need to put an album out, another thrash album. Who do we got? And they're like, oh, well, check out this band, Death Angel. They've been around since 1982. They've got all this credibility in the underground scene. People love them. You know, and they're, they're kind of the, the, the average thrash. And it probably, honest to God, was a fucking A&R guy walking around in the Bay Area being like, hey, Metalhead, come here. What, what band is really cool right now? What do you guys like, Metallica, Slayer? They're like, no, fuck those bands. Death you love Angel. Death Angel. I'm like, all right, let me go see their gig. And, and bam. Yeah, it's because Death Angel's playing shows to 300 people in a packed bar. And, uh, you know, they're hanging out and getting drunk with everybody after the show. So every, they've got that underground connection to the fans. And so that made them like, holy Jesus, in 1987. But their career just took off way too, way too late. They get picked last. By the time you get to 1990, you're like, okay, Death Angel's a cool band. And I think... Part of the reason why they went as more commercial as they did is they're like, we might be able to turn Death Angel into a decent hard rock band like we did with Metallica. Yep. Because Metallica was kind of like a band that shouldn't have continued. By, by all by all rights, they should never oh, have, no. have been able to continue past the Justice era. That Black Album was like what redefines them, the direction they go as a band. They're a hard but rock they, band after that. Absolutely. They made a lot of smart business decisions, and they said, look, we can, we can play enough metal to keep the fans happy. But also kind of make songs that your mom's going to listen to or your girlfriend's going to listen to. And Death Angel, they're not there yet on Act 3. They're just a bit too late. A little too late. And it's fine. You can see them moving towards that. You give this lineup two or three more albums, they're probably playing Black Album type stuff. Yep. This is a prelude to that, or this album would have been a prelude to that. Unfortunately, it's 1990, and it's still kind of more of a pure thrash metal release, which I think Underground fans would have really liked. But underground fans probably aren't stoked that the band signed to Geffen Records at this point. So they're kind of between a rock and a hard place as far as, as far as what their fan base is. They're not really launched to the new audience. Metalheads know what's up. They're like, this album Act 3 is great. But the population at large, not so much. So I can understand how these guys have been grinding it out for fucking eight years at this point. They got their big break three years ago. But their big break is still like, hey, guys, you guys are going to be the next big thing. And it doesn't I promise, happen. And it just doesn't happen. So I understand that burnout. 
and I understand the need of like bus crash. We're supposed to go on tour with Judas Priest. This could have been huge for us, and now we're not. And Pantera takes their slot, and Pantera goes on to become amazing. I'm not saying that's like the linchpin of Pantera's career, but I'm sure it didn't hurt anything. Oh, God, no. You know? So they break up. You don't hear anything from Death Angel. They're a band that doesn't exist until the early 2000s. Which is surprising in the least to say that they even made a comeback. In 2001, the band decides to reunite for a cancer benefit show for Chuck Billy of Testament. Which, you know, we've got Chuck Billy still, so I guess it worked. Thank you very much, Death Angel, for coming to slay death. And cancer people who put money out to help. As is always the case with these sort of reunion shows. They're like, man, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool <laughs> if? And what's interesting about Death Angel is you talk about them coming into their own late in their career. By 2004, they're back in full swing and they're writing a new album. They put it out in 2004 called The Art of Dying, which is kind of hilarious because it's more of a rebirth. Like they could have called it like The Art of Being the Phoenix, like Rising from the Dead, but it's fucking Death Angel. So they're going to call it The Art of Something Dying. Weird. <laughs> The weird thing is, is this sounds like a natural progression from Act 3. Yeah, it's but a return it, to thrash. It's a lot thrashier than that. It's not even a return to thrash. They never stopped being thrash. Yeah, but this is more thrashier than Act 3. It's a little faster. It's a little... not. I don't think it's... It's not heavy. It's heavy just for the modern production yeah, quality have, alone. It's fast. More they go modern, back to being fast. More modern recording techniques. They sound like they never left. They sound like they sounded in 1990. And that just blows my mind. You don't really get that from these reunion bands. You know, we talked about... Uh, at the gates a few weeks ago and it was very much like you could tell the new at the gates from the classic and you could maybe tell via the production quality but songwriting alone this is this is this is my death angel it doesn't sound like they had a vault of lyrics and music from 1980 that they're like all right well, we'll just use this and regurgitate the past this is like fresh writing for them they've got that aggression they've also got the kind of newer wave of thrash to write off of too in the early 2000s and mid-2000s, a lot of the metalcore bands started playing more thrash stuff. So you had like Trivium and uh, Killswitch Engage to a much lesser degree. Yes. You had Shadows Fall, which was like a straight, almost a straight thrash band with some metalcore in there. Fantastic band, Shadows Fall. Agreed. That gave the old metalheads kind of some hope of like, you know, you could throw Death Angel on a tour with Shadows Fall and it'd be okay. They'd be good, uh, good second or third band to get the crowd warmed up and rolling. I mean, they're not going to headline anything. I mean, I don't think they ever were going to. But, yeah, this is definitely somebody you fill a, a tour ticket with. I'd pay to go see them for this sure. This is a highlight of their career. And what I like about it being a comeback album is it's actually better in a lot of ways than their previous material. Uh, I think from an all-around standpoint, yeah, musically, lyrically, production value. Yeah, it's modern. It plays to a crowd, but it still serves the purpose that they set out to do. And this is a good jumping on point for a new fan. Yeah. You don't have to go back and listen to Act 3 or Frolic Through the Park or The Ultraviolence. You probably should. I mean, if, you, if you're really into the band, you should get those albums, but you don't have to. Yes, you, you can have be, to go back to Ultraviolence. I you, said so. You so. can be, yeah. Well, since Josh said so. You have to. The Art of Dying was a fantastic comeback record for Death Angel. They kind of just wrote on that for a while. Yeah. You notice there wasn't as much like frequency to put out material. What every every year and a half? Right. Because, Try to cram three albums in three years. Because we don't we don't get their next album, Killing Season, until two thousand and eight. Oh, Killing Season. Killing is my business, and business is good. Mm, I like this album a lot too. I really enjoy it because it's kind of like them doing Act Three again. Yeah. Maybe a little bit better. It is, it's a lot better, actually, I think. I like how this album exists at a time 
when the closest thing we had to modern thrash metal was Godsmack, was Lamb of God. Oh, there it is. no. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I'm not a fan of Lamb of God. I like Mastodon. Spans aren't really thrash metal, though. Yeah. But I get what you're saying. They're as close to that label, quote unquote, if you're going to go that route. I disagree. I say Shadows Fall and Trivium are your closest to thrash metal. All right. All right. I'm. That's a debate for another time, Dan. Joe, finish your point. I know he cut Just you off. Just being an elitist here. That's his job. Yeah. We pay him for that. You guys get paid? Dude, you didn't get the memo? Joe gave me money to come on this thing. So it's the mid-2000s. It's 2008. Metalcore was still here, but it was kind of turning into deathcore. Degent was starting to become a commodity. We didn't really have thrash metal. Thank God Emo was dying. I'll hear. I'll second that. (laughs) The fuck does Emo have to do with this discussion at all? I'm just going to agree with the point. I don't like Emo at all. (laughs) (laughs) It's because you guys don't know what Emo actually is, but that's fine. Oh, here we go, Dan. I'm going to cut myself. Life is pain. It's not what Emo emo is. (laughs) I like this album. This was a good album. It's a good song quality. I like the vocals on it. He snarls a lot more in this album. It reminds me kind of Dave. He's got kind uh, of a Dave Dave Mustaine Mustaine, snarl to his voice, and I I enjoy that. I do, too. His melodic singing is, is really good now. Yeah. Whereas, he had time off to work on it. Yeah, because it, it sounded kind of rough whenever he first started trying it in the 90s and yeah. in the late 80s. Uh, it sounds really good now, and that that's kind of typical. Like, if you look at James Hetfield, who came into his voice later in life, uh, it's very similar, even Dave Mustaine to a, to a lesser degree. I still don't think Dave sounds perfect when he sings, but... No, yeah, it depends on the show and the time and the day and all that. So we can agree, Killing Season was a fantastic thrash album. One thing I like about it is they didn't ever just cheese it out and go for the metalcore or go for the modern. or that They really kept it thrash at a time where it would have been really easy to modernize to get new fans. And I think they're past that. I think they're just like, holy shit, this still works. Play We're putting it. albums out and, and people love them. So Play we'll just, it. Let's turn up the motorhead level of beef to max and just thrash to the end. Now here in 2010, they released an album called Relentless Retribution, which should have been the name of the comeback album. I love this album. This was my favorite of the newer ones. This is fantastic. This is some of the best stuff of their career. This was so heavy. This was so, I was like, is this Slayer? (laughs) This reminds me so much of Slayer. Yeah, it's like being fucked by riffs. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, this one really goes for the throat. I don't know who pissed at their Cheerios or or what happened, but uh, they're not happy about it and they're not letting this shit stand. This was a fuck you guys. (laughs) And I don't even know who the guys are, but they're just like, fuck it's you. It's us. <laughs> yeah. It's us. Whoever it is. Anytime a band says, fuck the haters, they're talking about us. I'm like, dude, I like the album. What are you <laughs> like, What are you complaining about? It doesn't matter. You got to sit down and listen to it now. You like my album? Well, fuck you anyway. Right. You give us something to hate. We hate you. This is my favorite of the newer albums. It, it, it kind of goes towards the ultra violence in places. Like, they just kind of got that wild hair up their ass where they're like, dude, we need to, we need to reestablish ourselves as this great heavy band. And I, and I think it makes sense if you look at like what Testament was doing in, in 2010 and even Exodus was going for like a heavier, more brutal sound. And so they were kind of keeping up with the Joneses on that a little bit. But I actually I actually enjoy this record more than I enjoyed like the newer Exodus material. Oh, that's okay. Poor Exodus. It, this well, is almost like they're like, they'll hey. They'll get their own episode someday. Never. If Kirk okay is it, that's fine. But. It's almost like they're like, hey, we're over here still. Hey, look at us. We're Death Angel. Still here. We still we still kick ass. Just a reminder. But he sounds good. We're listening to it right now. He sounds, I think he's, it's almost like he gets better he as goes, these albums go along. I don't know what it is. He goes for the more extreme vocal yeah. on this one, which I think sounds really good with more of the modern thrash stuff is, is where it's still got that cutting 
I mean, not not really quite guttural, but just kind of like this raspy snarl to everything, where it's still understandable but very rage-inducing. Yes, mild so, hulkisms. Right now, whenever they released the Dream Calls for Blood in 2013, eh, it was okay. And yeah, I mean, like, I, it, it's not. <laughs> they don't have an album that I hate. That I, they don't have an album where I'm just like, ugh. It, they don't have an album for me that's. Oh, this is my Saint Anger album. Like, there's not that with this band. This is another album where I don't think it's quite as good as the previous two. It's maybe a half a step to a step. Not, I don't want to say worse because it's not bad. Maybe the it's just not as good. Maybe this is like regurgitated, you know, stuff from <laughs> Dan just threw up in his mouth. We're splitting hairs ranking albums when really that's all you can do. Yeah, they're they just don't a good, fail. They're a good solid band. What do we say about Slayer? They have one formula. They stick to it. They know how to do it, and they do it well. Except I think, for that one time. Well, okay, we're not talking about that. <laughs> but I think, that makes this band, I think this makes this band better than Slayer in the sense that it's not that their formula is generic. They write complicated songs that have a lot of different structures to them. They have more melodic sections in their songs. They go technical when they need to go technical. They play amazing solos, melodic or cat strangler, just like whichever yeah. whichever fits the situation better. A lot of speeding up, a lot of slowing down, just a lot of a lot more complicated songwriting. So I put them a cut above Slayer in 2013 than I than than I would, you know, any other band because what they're doing they're doing extremely well. The problem is is and it's not even this is not even a problem. But I want to explain where I'm going to go as far as splitting hairs goes. Since 2004, and they've been putting out a slew of the best material they've ever released. So it's hard to start ranking out. Like Joe said, it's hard to rank an album like The Dream Calls for Blood as worse than Relentless Retribution or Killing Season or The Art of Dying. Like, they're all great. You should listen to all of them. I'd love to have a vinyl box set of everything. Oh, no shit. And, and call it even. Hey, Polk, if you could send that out here, we'll share it. Yeah, go ahead and just send that. We would love that. Yeah, just send that over. Send it over to the Thresh guy here. Just send it over to, to Dan. Dan's right. I mean, these all, all of these albums are they're awesome in their own right. And so, yeah, to try and sit there and rank them is difficult because it's it's not that they all, they don't sound like, they don't all sound the same. It's not like it's... You know, ten years of it's just the, the same, same band, thing. just different songs. It's yeah. what we want as yeah. metal fans, really. They don't really have hills and valleys. No, like they stay other bands pretty, do. pretty flat and pretty plateau. Like they're just a good fucking band. Like it's, I I feel bad that they got started in the game so late. I wish that they could have gone for the ride along with everyone else in the early eighties, because who knows where they would be or where they would have ended up at along with the rest of them. But now they're they're really living in this magical dreamland where. You can get any kind of music you want with the advent of, of digital music and, and having free freedom of choice and not having to listen for what the newest, coolest band was based on someone else's opinion. If you like fucking balls to the wall thrash, listen to fucking Death Angel, you know, and you've got albums. You've got so many albums to listen to, and they're all good in their own right. I mean, the evil divide in 2016 was a return. So I said that they slowed down on the dream calls for blood. They did a little bit. Yeah. Well, and that's it's okay. Not, it's not by but then much. They're, but then they're back to kicking yeah. ass on, on the evil divide. You know, so what do you want me to say? There's not even even their newest one. I least another newest one from this year is still the same. Humanicide. Yeah. yeah. I actually like that. Actually, it's funny. This, this album just came out recently. Like, this album was the doubt when we put the band on the calendar, and then we put them That's on the awesome. calendar. This album came out, yeah. So, oh, you guys didn't listen to it? Oh, I listened to it. I did, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely did. It's a good album, like compared to music that's out there now in the umbrella of quote unquote metal. There's not a lot like this out there that still sounds like this. Like, 
there's still I like I get maybe it's just the old school person in me. Like I listen to this album, it's 2019, and I'm having flashbacks of 1980 mosh pitting or like you know shit like that. Like it's a modern record that just came out, but I also feel it's it's very 1980s modern, if that makes sense. Like well, this is modern thrash metal. Judas Priest good. would be modern heavy metal. It just it sounds good. They're just a good band. There's just not a whole lot to say negative about this band, honestly, people. There's not. I mean, in, in a thrash metal time when there were so many bands in the early to mid-80s trying to make it, and they all started to sound the same, and it was a watered-down scene at some point, this is just a band I feel like got forgotten too early on, and it's too bad, and I'm glad that they're at least... At least got some due, and they're at least recognizable now because they're just—they're a good band. They're a good band. Maybe so, they didn't show up to the party late. Maybe, maybe they were maybe, ahead of their time. Maybe they caught a break, and now they're—you know—they're outlasting. I mean, I, I don't know. They're very much a snapshot of the time period they were in. But it's that magical moment where you're like, I wish Metallica didn't change from yes. from Justice to Black album. Black I to wish, I, Yeah, and and so forth. Bands like that, like any, any band that you like that you're like, man, they went soft or they went mainstream, they went commercial. Death Angel didn't do any of that. They never they never sucked. They never they never sold out. And they were able to stay somewhat successful because of it. Right. They and, didn't and fall off the map. All these years later, it's not that they're just some band banking off of their success in the early nineties. No. Or the or the late eighties. They they are a band that's banking off the success of their slew of amazing albums that came back when the band returned. If this band comes to a local venue near you, you need to check them out. Final thoughts on Death Angel. Josh. They are fan-fucking-tastic. Like I said before, if you love thrash metal, if you love that sound, this is a band you have to check out. And as you guys have just sat there and listened through us, their whole discography, there's not a lot of negative stuff to say on them. If this is a band to me that gives you kind of that nostalgic factor from the early thrash side but it's still relevant in 2019 dan what about you i think if your love of thrash metal is limited to only a certain four bands i think you're missing out because there are amazing bands out there like death angel and like sodom and and bands that actually didn't change tourniquet uh, tourniquet sure well i'll give you i'll give it to you I'm feeling generous I today. <laughs> but those bands that kind of kept the dream real, those bands are out there. Fucking creator. You know, b- bands that just never sucked, bands that kept being good. I'll even give you Exodus. Oh, Exodus. I loved early Exodus. And they, they still, but they, I mean, they, they still continue to kick ass until the 2000s. And I know this is about Death Angel. The point that I'm trying to make here is that they are much more of what you want as a metal fan than the bands you've been spoon-fed. I think the definitive heavy metal album of the past two years is Firepower, but that's heavy metal. And as much as we love heavy metal, real good thrash has been around longer than people have been listening to it. It's unfortunate in some ways that we focus on metalcore and deathcore, and we're so worried that maybe thrash wasn't going to come back in the same way that it did before. Death Angel has been releasing albums since 2004, and they are one example of a band that has been playing that thrash metal that we love so much. What's the difference between thrash and heavy metal? We're splitting hairs. Speed, gallop, punk, aesthetic, uh, speed picking, lots of di- lot, lots of fucking down picking, cat strangler solos all over the place. Less melody. That's right, in your face. So if you're a fan of thrash metal, you should be listening to Death Angel. And shame on you, Josh, for only finding this now. Dude, I've listened to these guys when I first got into Metallica years and years ago. I just listened to the first couple of albums. 
I didn't get to Act Three until later in life, but I knew I listened to these guys in the early, or like not the early '80s, but when when I first started listening to Metallica, when I when got I into was them, a wee lad, when I yeah exactly so like, small, I wasn't even born. Like, when <laughs> I got Death Angel, Dad, Death when, Angel. When I got Kill 'Em All, Shut the up, first son, you're thing not I, born yet. The first thing I did was go through the thrash genre. Who who are the who in the bands in this genre can I latch onto? And this was one of the bands I latched onto. They were fucking awesome and still are awesome. Damn, what's your album of the week? My album of the week is a pretty pretty easy one to guess. It's Act 3 by Death Angel. Sorry. Yeah. I went back and listened to it a whole bunch of times, and I just I fucking love that record. I know it's lame to do the album we, you know, for the no, band we talked not. about. No, it's not. If it's thrash, it's fine. It's fucking thrash. Josh, what about you? I went a Dan Terry classic, and I did Schizophrenia by Sepultura. I just happened to come across a song on one of my playlists, and I was like, fuck, I haven't listened to this album in ages. Oh, yeah, Dan loves these guys. Could give it a listen. Again, damn, these guys are scary. Thank you to one of our patrons, Lance Allgood. Eternal forward motion. You're the man. Employed to serve. It's a great fucking album. You've been listening to this podcast for a long time, right? If the answer to that is yes, you may have wondered from time to time, man, I really love this band. How come you guys have never talked about this band? I want you to talk about this band, not that band, this band, this band that I like so much. We can do that for you, but you have to tell us what band you want us to talk about. A really good way for you to do that is to join us on our Discord server. You can click on a link in the show notes that'll take you right to our Discord server. You can ask us in real time, hey, I want you to talk about my favorite band. If you're not cool Discord, you can go on Facebook under www.facebook.com slash discography discussion. You can join our official group there and ask us to talk about your favorite band or talk about whatever you want to talk about. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. You can reach out to me at Discuss Metal Dan or Joe at Discuss Metal Joe. You can even send us an old-fashioned email at danandjoeshowgmail.com. So there's a, there's a multitude of ways you can request your favorite band to be talked about on this show. But I will warn you, we may not like it as much as you like it, but that's okay. You can tell us all about that after the episode in all of the places I just mentioned. And on that note, this has been episode 125 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Discuss Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things discography discussion. And please, send questions and comments to DanAndJoeShow at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at Patreon.com forward slash DiscussMetal. We have some sweet perks. Give me your money. Money good. Beer food. Mm. Right now.